Hello there and welcome to episode four of When in Spain, the podcast series that helps you make sense of Spain and Spanish life one step at a time. I'm Paul Burge and this is the first in a series of how-to guides which will form part of the When in Spain podcast series. Today I'm going to be looking at finding somewhere to live in Spain and specifically finding a room or an apartment to rent. Uh, it's quite a meaty <laughs> subject uh, with lots to talk about. So what I'm going to do is break this theme down into two separate podcasts. So this is part one. I'll be looking at uh, how to conduct your search, various resources, uh, where you should be looking, when you should be looking. I'll give you some personal anecdotes about uh, my own experience of looking for places to rent in Spain and in, in particular in Madrid. So there's some quite interesting little stories and anecdotes that I'll be sharing with you and obviously my uh, advice. I'll be looking at the type of properties you can expect to see, um, how the process works, paperwork, what you might or might not need to do. And um, looking also at prices, what you can expect to pay in Madrid, Barcelona, Valencia and Seville. And in part two, I'll be looking in more detail at specific neighbourhoods in those four cities. I know there are many more places, but obviously I don't have the time to cover every town and city in Spain. But I'm hoping that the ad advice um, that I give during this episode will be transferable, will be relevant to pretty much anywhere that you're looking to live in Spain. How easy is it to find somewhere in Spain to rent, whether it's a room in a shared apartment or if it's your own private apartment? In my experience, well, bloody difficult and incredibly frustrating in short. <laughs> I, I wish I could say it was easier. I'm basing this on my experience back home in the UK of, of finding places to rent. And I would say that in Spain, it's, uh, it's a lot more tricky, more frustrating, really feels like a bit of a, an endless cat and mouse game. Um, and that's obviously my experience. I've moved several times since I've lived in Spain over the last few years. But also speaking to my Spanish friends, this is not something that is uh, necessarily unique to people from other countries coming to live in Spain. This goes for anybody who is looking uh, to rent somewhere. So yeah, it's tricky. It's um, frustrating. It's a pain in the ass. But don't let that put you off. I think the advice I, I will give you in this episode should be incredibly useful. The first time I came to live in Spain, I was incredibly lucky because I had a friend, a Spanish friend back in the UK, whose mum, or rather whose grandmother, owned an apartment in the centre of Madrid. And, you know, it was a done deal right from the outset. Um, he said, oh, yeah, I know you, you're a friend, I will speak to my mum, uh, the room is yours. Um, the flat, on the other hand, well, <laughs> was another story. But uh, I didn't have to go the first time I lived here. 
I didn't have to go through some drawn out process. When I subsequently returned to Spain a few years later to look for somewhere, it was only then that I really realised what an absolute nightmare um, it can be. I don't want to put you off. I don't want to dissuade you. It's worth the battle to find somewhere decent to live or at least somewhere to live. And, you know, you learn a lot through the process as well. And it's certainly one good thing about flat hunting in Spain, in any of the cities, um, is you really get to learn the city. You get to go to lots of different places and neighbourhoods that you may not normally go to. So, yeah, there are lots of ups and downs. Um, so what 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 makes it so difficult? Well, One of the key things that I found and many of my friends have found in all of the cities across Spain, certainly true in the bigger cities like Madrid and Barcelona, and that is the time of year that you're looking. Um, In my experience back in the UK, the time of year didn't really seem to be a factor, you know, unless you were looking maybe at Christmas when no one is renting or uh, everybody is uh, on holiday, or maybe, you know, in the middle of the summer, July, August, again, when people are uh, not really advertising or looking. But other than that, in my experience in the UK, it was pretty much the same year round, you know, in terms of availability and the sort of volume of people looking, it was fairly straightforward. In Spain, in the bigger cities, it's a different story. Um, my advice is, if you're looking, if you can, really try to avoid starting your search in September or October, because it's well, it's almost impossible. It seems that every single person, everybody is looking for um, somewhere to rent, a room or an apartment. Everyone is looking. Competition is really stiff. So avoid September and October. Now, I know that's difficult. And I think this is the reason why there are so many people looking at that time of year, at the end of the summer and the beginning of the autumn, because it coincides, obviously, with the start of the academic year. So you've got lots of people who are coming uh, maybe to teach English, like maybe some of you guys might be. So you, obviously you rock up here in Spain in September and start looking, as do <laughs> thousands of other people. It's also in the bigger cities, big universities. There, uh, student accommodation isn't really very common in Spain, like it might be in the UK or uh, America or other countries. So most of most students rent privately. So you have a huge influx of new students arriving for several universities uh, in September, October time. So they add to the headache. Yeah, and also it's quite common in Spain for new job contracts to start in September, October time as well. Obviously, I think I've mentioned this before, In uh, during the summer months, certainly during August, everything seems to shut down. So if anyone is starting a new job, if they've been interviewed for a job, say, in the spring or the beginning of the summer, it's highly likely that they won't to start until uh, the end of the summer. So they all add to the equation of nightmarishness as well. Um, And I was one of those people. So obviously you can't blame people for wanting to look for somewhere to live. But yeah, so September and October, a huge volume of people looking. Um, Now I know obviously if you're coming at that time of year and you have no alternative, there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to be prepared to compete with a huge volume of people looking and expect the availability to get snapped up really, really quickly. Another time of year that can be a bit tricky as well is around January. Again, January, the start of a a new year. Uh, People who, I think, in my opinion, people who are going to arrive in Spain 
or move around and start uh, renting tend to do so either yeah September, October or again in January. And then the rest of the year is, in in my experience, easier. So if you can avoid September and October or January to start your search, uh, in my experience, the best time to look is probably in July, possibly August. A lot of people do go away on holiday in August. But if you can, if you're thinking of starting work or studies or teaching or whatever it is in September, my advice, if possible, is try and secure a room or an apartment in July or August. Now, I know that obviously poses a problem, but, you know, if you could, if you have the means and the ability to come and move to Spain uh, during the summer before starting to work, I think that would work definitely in your, would definitely work in your favour. But yeah, the spring is a good time to look as well. March, April time, there tends to be fairly good availability, um, but not too many people looking. It took me months to find somewhere the second time I was looking in Madrid. It, it literally took me, I think, three months. Now, that was me being a little bit fussy. I'll talk about that in a minute. But that was also just you know, the competition, it was just very, very difficult. And I remember speaking to other people who I met who were looking as well, who'd been through exactly the same thing, saying, I can't believe this. I have been looking and looking for two or three months now and I still haven't found somewhere or I haven't been accepted <laughs> as a tenant. So, yeah, it, it, it's very difficult. So be prepared. You're not get your, It's very unlikely. It does happen, but it's very unlikely that you're going to move to Spain or move cities and find somewhere within a week or two weeks. So have some money behind you. Have somewhere, uh, a hostel or a hotel or, or friends or someone's sofa to sleep on while you're looking. I was lucky that I had friends in Madrid from my first time here who very kindly let me stay with them for three months while I was looking. It's an incredibly exhausting, <laughs> fairly demoralising process. Um, some people will say, yep, I found it quite easy. But I would say most people hated the experience. <laughs> so, yeah, time of year, big factor. I won't ramble on about that anymore. What can you expect from the process? Oh, God, crazy nightmare. Again, I mean, I'm only comparing this to my experience back in the UK. But normally in the UK, you see something advertised. You phone up the person. You say, yes, I like it. They say, great. You say, OK, uh, I'll pay the deposit. They say, fine. And that's it. It's yours. It's off the market. You agree a moving in date and that's it. Not so here. They have this bizarre... Well, I'm talking about if you're looking to share an apartment. There's a really drawn out, what, what even Spanish people call un casting, a casting process, you know, as if you were going for a part in a film. Drawn out casting process. So, you know, you can turn up and say, hey, I've got a job, I'm reliable, I can pay my deposit right now, I like the flat, I'm a nice person, I'm easygoing, I'm clean, blah, 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 blah. That won't really make any difference. They'll say, oh, okay, yeah, even if you're the first person to see the apartment, they'll say, well, you know, we've got 15 other people to see, so we'll let you know. And whether you hear something back, who knows? You may, you may not. So they, I've, I've been to some really strange... Um, <laughs> in some really strange situations regarding this sort of casting process. So you'll go, you'll turn up, you'll arrange an appointment to view a, a room and or a flat, and you'll turn up and there'll be like six other people sitting around there 
all invited at the same time to, to sort of like do a group viewing. There'll be a, a piece of paper on the table. One of the one or two of the housemates, the uh, existing housemates, will be there, and they'll say, "Oh yeah, hi, come in. Write your name down on this piece of paper so we remember who you are. Write a little bit about yourself." They'll do a quick tour of the flat, and obviously on the piece of paper you write your contact details down. Then you know we'll be in touch. And, you know, that's one viewing with, you know, six people. I have been to some where there have been 10 or 12 people viewing the flat at the same time. And uh, the uh, the existing housemates had even ordered in pizza for everyone. <laughs> it's really bizarre. I mean, this, in my experience, has never happened uh, in the UK. Um, it's, it's truly a bit a bit frustrating, a bit annoying and a bit strange. But yeah, group interviews. Yeah, if you're lucky to get called up here, we like you. Um, this is another thing that happened to me. It's like, we'd like to do a follow-up interview. We'd like to go and have a beer with you. We'd like to go and get to know the real you. Um, so, you know, you go for a drink in a bar, uh, maybe with the other housemates who weren't there uh, at the first showing. That that happened to me a few times. I mean, and it does get frustrating because you kind of think, look, just make a decision. This is getting ridiculous. You know, we're not we're not getting married. You know, you, you just you know, take just take a chance, take a risk. But no, very very careful um, to, in in the uh, selection process. It's like going for a job interview. Most uh, adverts, and I'll talk about where you'll find places advertised in a minute. But most adverts say contact me via WhatsApp. WhatsApp in Spain is very, very common, very popular. It's probably the most popular mode of communication in Spain. So, you know, WhatsApp me. Send me a WhatsApp. You've seen an advert. You send a WhatsApp. Hi, I'm interested in the flat, blah, 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 blah. You may hear something back. You may not. The crazy thing with WhatsApps is people put an advert and they probably get like, you know, 100 or 200 WhatsApps. How how on earth can they sort through them all? <laughs> um, so you may just never get a reply. Sometimes, which is really bloody annoying is that you'll get you know you see the two blue ticks the message has been read you'll get no response you might send a follow-up message no response no response no response this this happens all the time and you know you could sort of think oh it seems rude um and it kind of is but it's not really it's just people are absolutely inundated with people messaging them there's no kind of good system i suppose the other thing that happens is people chopping and changing their minds about the kind of tenant or housemate that they want. So you'll see an advert uh, initially saying, yeah, we're looking for a, a guy or a girl, female, male or female, we don't mind, to share our apartment with us. You message them, you set up a date and a time to go and do the viewing, and then they message you at the last minute saying, oh, actually, now the, the, the apartment is uh, not available. This happened lots of times to me. And you're like, why, why is it, you mean it's already rented? No, no, it's actually because we're looking for uh, a girl only, uh, which is understandable. You know, some people, if it's a, it's a group of uh, girls in a house, it's probably more comfortable for them to, to want to live with another girl. Um, but yeah, this happens a lot. Chopping and changing of minds about about uh, the availability. Sometimes it suddenly becomes unavailable. This happened to me. I had a uh, a viewing lined up for an apartment I really liked, for a, a room in an apartment I really liked. And I'd exchanged several messages with one of the housemates who was a girl. And then I think a day before she messaged me to say, really sorry, um, it's the, the room's not uh, available anymore. It's been taken. And I was like, oh, okay. Thanks for letting me know. The same day I went to a viewing 
of another apartment and I got talking to a couple of American girls and uh, one of them said, oh, I've got another viewing to go to next. And I said, oh, yeah, where was that? And she told me. And anyway, it turned out it was exactly the same apartment um, that I'd been told was no longer available, yet that she was going for uh, to view it. And I said, oh, that's funny. Yesterday they told me it, it's not available anymore. And she said, oh. So I did. I was. <laughs> you get to this point where you get so fed up and frustrated of being messed around. I said, well, I've just met someone who said they're going to view the apartment. What's going on? Oh, it's because actually in the end we decided we wanted to live with, we wanted another girl, not a boy. Sorry about that. It's understandable, but it just gives you the idea of the kind of backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, which is frustrating in an already difficult situation yeah it just is exhausting just talking about it I really just do not want to go through it again (laughs) um yeah the types of places as I said earlier um you know it took me a long time because of this kind of thing you know just not being able to get someone to say yep we'll live with you (laughs) um and um but also you know you do have obviously a certain level of uh, a certain standard that you're looking for in terms of accommodation and you know god some places I mean I think I saw I, I think I, I saw it all during my three months of looking I mean you can expect you know rooms with no windows uh, rooms which are the size of a cupboard absolutely tiny tiny rooms with no windows that are basically like a prison cell um, you'll have rooms which have no furniture, they have a bed, but the wardrobe is in the kitchen and the, the chest of drawers is in the lounge and everything is scattered around the flat. I saw rooms that had refrigerators in, cockroaches, unfortunately. I went to see one flat that, uh, yeah, there were cockroaches and also I saw in the kitchen uh, notices put on the kitchen cupboards in Spanish saying, please do not leave food out because of the cockroaches. And I thought, well, that's uh, that's a great advert, isn't it? Yeah, you'll often see places which are okay in terms of location and size, but they'll be full of dilapidated furniture from the, from the Franco era. And then you get all sorts of complicated stories. You go to, to view a flat... And the guy says, yeah, I really like your profile. I think you'd fit in well here. And I say, great. So when can I pay the deposit? When can we uh, fix a date for moving in? He's like, well, the room that we're renting out, it, it technically isn't actually free yet. The the guy, the Swedish guy whose who's room it is, has had to suddenly go back to Sweden because he's got some illness or something like that, you know. And he says, so we don't definitely know if the room is going to be free because he might want to come back. But anyway, he's going to let me know. So we don't know. It's still all up in the air. So the room is sort of available, but sort of not. And you sort of think to yourself, well, why advertise it then? It's like advertising it on the off chance. Things like that. What other things? Furnished rooms. Depends, you know, if you have furniture. But I imagine if you're moving from... Uh, overseas to Spain you're not going to have furniture and you're probably not going to want to buy a load of furniture either a lot of rooms come unfurnished uh, which is again it's up to you I mean obviously you can furnish it how you want but then you've got to invest money in furniture and then when you move uh, at some point in the future what do you do you've got to sell the furniture you've got to take the furniture with you but if you take it with you the place you go to might already have furniture etc etc Another curious thing that happened to me when I was looking is I found a room, really liked it, and it had uh, furniture in it. But uh, the person who was doing the viewing, one of the roommates, said, oh, yeah, all of the furniture that you see in the room, you need to buy. You need to buy it. And I was like, what do you mean I need to buy it? She said, well, the person who uh, moved 
moved his room it is now bought all the furniture but they don't want it so you know it, you have to buy the furniture so it was compulsory to buy the furniture in the room so it was not included in the rent and they said well don't worry because when you uh, if and when you eventually move in the future you can just uh, sell the furniture to the next tenant who comes in you know, I mean ridiculous things like that I mean, I don't know. To me, it seems ridiculous. Maybe to you guys, it's happened to you before. Maybe it's a common thing to do in in other countries. I'm not sure. But I'd never heard of anything like that. So I mean, you're basically, if you take the room, you're forced to spend, I think it was a lot. It's like four or 500 euros on furniture and beds and mattresses. Uh, yeah, sometimes you'll see a room. It's just got a bed frame in it. All the other furniture is there. Uh, a bed frame, but no mattress. So they say, oh, yeah, you have to buy, you have to buy your own mattress. Like, why would someone just buy a mattress and then take it with them? So then, you you know, if you want that room, you've got to buy a mattress. And then in the future, when you uh, leave, you've got to sell a mattress. Or you've got to take a mattress with you to somewhere that's probably already got a mattress. Just all these, like, totally illogical and bizarre setups. <laughs> um, yeah, really annoying. I would also say, and I, I kind of get it because there are so many people looking and people are... People who are advertising rooms are inundated with people, but there is a people can be very inconsiderate. Let's put it that way, uh, whether they are the landlords uh, who are advertising and showing the flat, or they are the uh, existing housemates. You know, you'll make an appointment. This happened to me loads of times, and it's happened to my friends loads of times before. You make an appointment, you confirm it. You show up, you ring the doorbell, they open the door and say, oh, sorry, um, yeah, the flat was uh, taken this morning or the flat was taken uh, just an hour ago. The last person who came uh, took it. And, you know, well, thanks for letting me know. I've just spent half an hour on the metro travelling. You could have just sent me a WhatsApp message. But, yeah, they don't care. Basically, they've got the person they want, everyone else doesn't matter so there's yeah people can be very inconsiderate and it just only adds to your frustration when you've been looking and looking and not having much um, luck Um, and it's time consuming I guess like any uh, flat hunting it is time consuming but you know when it's so drawn out like this and if you're here uh, and you're working as I was it's absolutely knackering it's really tiring because you've been working all day uh, most people who show apartments or rooms don't want to do it at the weekend because they don't want to be bothered at the weekend. They want to have their weekend free, which is understandable. So most viewings happen uh, Monday to Friday in the evenings from, I don't know, 6, 7, 8 p.m. up until probably about 10, 10, 30 p.m. So you're schlepping around all over the city doing these viewings after having been at work all day. So, yeah, it, it is t- it's very tiring. When you do... <laughs> Dun, 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 finally get offered a room, uh, accepted into the fold of an apartment. What will normally happen? Well, contracts, probably not. I would say most individual rooms that are rented as part of a shared apartment, you will not see a contract, you will not sign anything. All you will need to do is hand over a deposit um, and that's it. The room is yours. It sounds a bit dodgy. Sounds a bit, you know, you, you have to put your trust in these people. But that is how it works um, in most cases. In very few cases, uh, one of the tenants who might have a contract with the owner of the flat may get you to fill in your details on the contract uh, and uh, replacing the person who was there before. 
but that's never happened to me and and most of the time you know uh one of the long-standing tenants will have some kind of relationship or uh, contact with the owner or the landlord and it's basically subletting so someone comes someone goes someone comes someone goes and it's the constant uh, handing over of deposits returning of deposits handing over of deposits and that's it it is illegal but hey this is spain and uh, that's the way it works uh, if you're renting a room usually well not usually i'd say nine times out of ten so when you hand over your deposit make sure you get some kind of receipt or written confirmation quite often they ask for it in cash they might say do a bank transfer which is probably better because you've got some kind of a paper trail i suppose it's highly unlikely that you will sign a contract so your deposit is normally uh, one month's rent sometimes it's a month and a half sometimes it can be two months sometimes it can be three months very unlikely that is uh, more common in the case of renting an entire apartment you'll they will ask for a much bigger deposit and normally it's a month and uh, normally a month uh, or a month and a half's rent up front what happens is you hand over the cash when you eventually move out the incoming tenant will pay their deposit and when they pay their deposit that deposit is returned to you so this is kind of exchanging of money so uh, when you pay your deposit that deposit that you pay goes to the person who's leaving and that's their deposit being returned and then when you leave the incoming uh, housemate uh, pays their deposit and that money is basically given straight to you and this kind of chain of passing of deposits goes on and on that seems to be the common way to do it but yeah usually a month what else yeah i think that's all really looking at uh, the sort of ins and outs and the process of uh, of renting um a room i mean really in terms of paperwork renting a room is the the real difficult thing is finding the room the, in terms of the paperwork it's straightforward it's done really on trust and just by paying a deposit, you're not going to have to fill in lots and lots of paperwork. They might ask for a copy of your passport, you know, something to prove who you are, just in case you do a runner, I suppose. I'll talk about uh, uh, prices and costs and what you can expect to pay a little bit later in the podcast. Um, because, of course, this does depend on which city you are planning to live in. And it also depends on which neighbourhood uh, you're going to live in and how central uh, you're going to be in the city so that's that's rooms um, of course you might want to come and you might want to rent an entire flat whether it's by yourself whether it's with your uh, partner or whether it's uh, a group of friends coming over and renting together so looking for a flat basically you still go through all of the same rigmarole and hassle that you do when you look for a room but there are fewer people looking for flats than rooms i would say i say look i would say looking for rooms there are there's a higher volume of people looking to share if you're looking for a flat um same situation um you will probably have uh, not so much car not really castings but you will have you'll be grilled on your ability to pay i mean even if you show i mean this is another strange thing with private landlords um you go to see a flat you will be asked to show usually proof of income. So they would want to see a job contract with your salary or they will want a guarantor 
Um, when you're renting a flat, it's it's a, obviously it's a bigger responsibility, and you're going to need to prove that you can pay the rent every month and that you're not going to destroy the flat. So normally, in terms of deposits, uh, you're going to be looking at paying probably two months' rent, at least a month and a half, and I've seen you know ridiculous figures of three months' rent or more. Now this is when I'm this is, I'm talking about private landlords. So these are people who privately advertise their their flat for rent. Um if we're talking about agencies, which I'll touch on in a minute, it's you know, that's that's a different story altogether. But um so you'll go, you'll meet the landlord of the property or the owner of the property and they will show you around and have a nice chat and they say, Oh, where do you work? What do you do? Do you have a fixed contract, permanent contract? And the thing is, this is the problem you're up against. It depends who the other people are who are coming to see the apartment. Now, if you've got a temporary contract of nine months, which is common if you're teaching uh, English, for example, uh, if you've got a temporary contract and then the next person comes to view the flat has got a permanent contract, they will give the flat to the person with a permanent contract. No question. If you have only been in a job if you've got a permanent contract, but you've only been in the job, I don't know, two or three months, and maybe you haven't passed your probation period, and someone else comes to look at the flat, and they've been working in their job for five years, they will pick the person who's been in their job for five years, because it's obviously to them, it seems like they're more stable. Sometimes you might go and see a, an apartment, and the owner's preference will be for uh, a couple, a professional couple, and not for two friends or not for a group of uh, friends or anything like that. Their thinking is that a couple are going to be calmer, quieter, more mature, maybe, I don't know. Whereas renting to a group of four students, it's going to be party, 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 noise and destruction. <laughs> they, they take these things into account. So again, not like in my experience back in the UK, it's not a case of just being the first person there, the first person to say, yes, I'll take it, and the first person to pay the deposit and, and you know, that's it. No, here you, you've got to prove and prove and prove and prove that you um, can pay the rent in the future. And yeah, it, it's tricky. It's tricky if you're only here on a temporary contract or for a short uh, period of time. Um, that's private landlords. That doesn't, it's not always the case. I was lucky to find a flat here, which was a word of mouth through a friend of a friend of a friend. And because of that, contact that kind of uh, relationship the trust was there and said, don't worry about what your contract is don't worry Allah and you only have to pay one month's deposit and that was it because you know it was uh, someone known and that is how uh, a lot of it works here in Spain um, and I'll talk about it in a second but I just want to go back to the agencies so the other way you can rent is obviously through agencies and there are tons and tons and tons of agencies and yeah, I mean, if you're in a hurry and you're struggling, an agency can speed up the process for you. They will look for the flats for you. They will contact the landlord. They will speak to the landlord in advance and sort of describe your profile and who you are. And you will get a more an instant response, yes or no. Um, but of course, when the agency does find somewhere for you, you will have to pay a hefty commission. And it is not a deposit. That is normally one month's rent that you can kiss goodbye in, in commission. So if you're renting an apartment for, I don't know, 
800, 1,000 euros, they will ask for 800 or 1,000 euros commission. Uh, poof, gone. So it's expensive. You have to be willing to pay that kind of money. And on top of that, the agencies are much stricter on deposits. So you will need to, you at least two months in my experience, I've seen. Uh, sometimes they ask for three months. I think, I can't remember, to ask for any more than two or three months deposit is actually illegal. But yeah. It happens. Um, so you're going to go through an agency, it's going to be more expensive. And also agencies tend to bump up the rental prices as well. Obviously, because, you know, they're working on commission from their behalf for the landlord. So they want to absolutely get the maximum possible uh, from any rental. So the, the cost of rentals will be uh, very expensive too. Um, or a lot more expensive. I'd say probably about 20% more expensive than if you go through a private landlord, which again is the same in the UK and I imagine in other countries too. Yeah. Um, where to look uh, for, where to start your search? Well, the internet, of course. Uh, there are a number, a handful of useful websites that you can, uh, that you can, that you can conduct your search on. So you have uh, idealista.com, which is probably one of the most common well-known websites um, and you can as with all of the websites I'm going to talk about uh, you can filter them by city by neighborhood by price range by the kind of property you're looking for etc uh, all of them well most of them most of them have uh, a decent amount of photographs and give a description of the property some of the descriptions might be in Spanish but there's a, usually a translation tool as well and also I don't know why but uh, properties I've seen on Idealista seem to be a bit, more, a bit more expensive than other places. I don't know why. But it's certainly worth a trawl through uh, Idealista. So it's idealista.com. Another website which is uh, common is pisos.com. P-I-S-O-S.com. Pisos.com. And again, you can filter it by city, location, neighbourhood, price range, etc., etc. Uh, has a good range. Uh, very similar to Idealista. And uh, there's another one called Photocasa, photo, the Spanish spelling, F-O-T-O, Photocasa, photo house, uh, photocasa.com or photocasa.es, uh, I should say. Again, very similar to the other two. Uh, it's a, uh, a search engine for properties with photographs and you can filter accordingly as well. But uh, uh, sometimes a better option, and this is where you're going to get more sort of uh, independent private landlords advertising, is uh, milanuncios, com or milanuncios.es. Mil, M-I-L, anuncios, uh, A-N-U-N-C-I-O-S.com. I will put these links on the blog that corresponds to this episode, by the way. Uh, Mil Anuncios means, uh, you know, a thousand adverts. So it's actually uh, um, a website not specifically for uh, property, but for anything that people want to sell. So Mil Anuncios is worth a look. And they tend to be cheaper. You'll find independent, uh, well, individuals renting rooms or apartments on there. Quite commonly on Mil Anuncios, you'll see rooms rented and it will be, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, a family who want to rent their spare room out or it might be, you know, uh, an old lady, an old pensioner who wants to rent her room out. That seems to be more common on there. So those, those are some options as well. If you're a student, 
There is a website called uniplaces.com uh, who specialise in finding student accommodation. These are very normally very large apartments where you'll be sort of sharing with, I don't know, eight or ten people, more like a sort of mini halls of residence, I suppose, but usually a lot more expensive, you know, than a private rental or even with an agency. They will charge you lots of fees and the price of the accommodation will generally be higher. Uh, there's another one called Spot a Home, Spot a Home, spotahome.com, which is... A sort of quite a high-end rental agency um, and you can do short-term lets you can rent a room basically for anything between a couple of weeks a couple of up to a couple of months or even long uh, longer if you're doing a shorter term let with them and they have rooms and apartments again it's going to work out more expensive obviously for a short-term let but that's another option as well there are other places which I'm going to where you can conduct your search, which I'll talk about in just a second. But I really want to make this point as well. And I think this is uh, something that is quite unique to Spain, that what surprised me when I was looking for um, accommodation for a room and an apartment is uh, just how, you know, in, in Madrid, for example, where I live, you know, a huge capital city of, you know, six million just the, the lack of availability, just the lack of uh, um, apartments and rooms being advertised, it was really surprising. I would look on Idealista and the, the various websites that I've just mentioned you know, on a sort of daily basis. And, you know, there would be 12 new apartments or 12 new rooms or six new rooms, avail- new, uh, rooms available each day. You know, new, uh, new adverts each day. Only a handful of new adverts each day, you know, for a huge city. And I thought, oh, it's really strange. Why aren't there more? And that's because, you know, in Spain, a lot of things work by word of mouth. Boca, boca, a friend of the family, uh, a friend of a friend, uh, a work colleague, you know, someone, someone you know quite well. So a lot of these uh, flats and apartments and rooms never get advertised because in a very traditional way, a lot of people don't like the idea of renting to people they don't know. So even though they might keep the apartment or room empty for longer than normal, they'd rather do that and wait until they get uh, someone that they know to rent uh, rather than a total stranger. So again, it's quite surprising, but it, it, wor- it works very often in that way. A lot of who you know, um, as in with many aspects of Spanish life. Um, so yeah, another uh, more curious place which uh, where you can look, um, and this doesn't really hold true for, I think, everywhere, but in some cities, certainly in Madrid, and not normally in the centre of cities, but in the slightly more out-of-the-centre neighbourhoods, uh, the more sort of normal, less touristy places, um, there are places called Locutorios. Locutorios, it's like a small internet, uh, not an internet cafe, but an internet shop where you can go, or an internet place where you can go and uh, use the internet and pay by the hour and in these places well traditionally they were places where you could go and make international phone calls and um, well very few of them exist now obviously with the uh, boom of internet and people having internet in their own houses and mobile phones and all the rest of it these places are dying out these locutorios and uh, but they are they do still exist in a sort of more out of the center neighborhoods and quite often you will see uh, a notice board in there with people advertising um, apartments. So that's, that's one option. I'm thinking, you know, in the centre of Madrid, for example, or the centre of Barcelona, this is probably less likely. In smaller towns and cities, this is still more of a realistic option to find adverts. Uh, if you're a student, 
or if you're coming to work in a school or a university, obviously uh, the university or school can help you with accommodation. Facebook, of course, social media. There are uh, numerous Facebook groups for different sounds and cities in Spain for expat communities. Um, there's uh, expats in Madrid, there's English people in Madrid. There are similar Facebook groups uh, for Barcelona, Valencia, Seville, of course, because there are sizable uh, expat or English-speaking communities in these cities. And you, yeah, great place to start, great place to start for looking for uh, chatting with other people. You might find other people on there looking for uh, apartments or room shares as well. So check out, do a quick search in Facebook for Facebook groups, which kind of goes without saying, really. One thing, if you're in Madrid uh, uh, on Facebook, have a look for rentaroominmadrid.com. The guy who runs the group and website is called uh, Donny Timpson. Have a look for him. He can help you. I don't know him. I'm not uh, promoting him. But I did contact him when I first moved here and he was very helpful. He usually has a selection of rooms or flats available. Again, they do tend to be a little bit more pricey than the normal if you find them, you know, through private adverts. But he'll do the sort of legwork for you. He'll tell you where the what availability there is, where the flats are located. And usually with that, it's done deal. If you decide that you like the apartment or the room, that's it, it's yours, you pay your deposit, and that's it. So if you're in Madrid, he's worth checking out on Facebook, uh, rentaroominmadrid.com, and his name is Donny Timpson. So let's get on to the weighty topic of money. How much can you expect to pay for a room or an apartment in these cities? Well, let's start with Madrid, where I live. In Madrid and Barcelona, the prices, rental prices, as well as property prices, really, have risen quite considerably uh, during the last, uh, year to 18 months. Just to say that these prices are correct as of June 2018. Prices have gone up in some cases, you know, 20% uh, in some parts of Madrid and the same situation in Barcelona as well. I'm going to talk about that in more detail in another podcast um, and I will leave a link to an article I found a talking about this uh, recently on the blog. But anyway, let's get down to prices and money. How much can you pay? Let's look at Madrid. Um, well, for a for one room in a shared apartment in the central neighbourhoods, you're going to be looking at four to six hundred euros per month. Uh, at the lower end, the, the price probably will, will not include bills. At the six hundred euro end, they should probably include bills, maybe not internet but basic bills. When I say the central neighbourhoods of Madrid, I'm talking about any neighbourhood which falls within the M30 motorway. Uh, most locals class the centre of Madrid as anywhere which uh, anywhere that's inside the M830, the M30 ring road that goes around uh, Madrid. From my point of view, I kind of tend to disagree with this idea because you can live inside the M30 motorway, but I wouldn't class it as being in the centre of Madrid. You could still be looking at a 30-minute walk, 45-minute walk into the very centre or, you know, 20, 25 minutes on the metro. Um, but those are the neighbourhoods I'm going to be looking at, the four within, side, within the M30. That include all the classic neighbourhoods that you may have heard of, uh, the very centre, uh, Malasaña, uh, La Latina, uh, Chueca, Salamanca, Chamberí, uh, Huertas, uh, the Barrio de las Letras, 
Pacifico, Atocha Station, Lava PS. The list goes on. There are numerous neighbourhoods which are kind of classed as being central neighbourhoods. Uh, but I would say the price in any of those neighbourhoods, and that is a curious thing, is going to be around the same. Uh, the curious thing is that, for example, a room in a shared flat in Salamanca, which is one of the poshest neighbourhoods, if not the poshest neighbourhoods in the centre of Madrid, um, well, could, you could find a room there for 450, 500 euros. And equally, you could find a room for exactly the same price in Lava Pies, which is not posh at all. It's a bit more gritty and run down. A, a great neighbourhood. I absolutely love it. But that's a strange thing. I can't really say to you, you will find a room cheaper uh, in this neighbourhood over this neighbourhood. Um, because it's strange. They all seem much of a muchness in terms of price. You could be really lucky and you could get a room in a flat, you know, almost on Plaza Mayor. And as luck would have it, you know, it's going for 450 euros. Um, so, yeah, the only, the only, my only advice to you if you're on a really tight budget and you don't want to spend, you know, four to 600 euros a month on your room is to look outside of the M30 motorway. And there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. There are perfectly decent neighbourhoods outside the M30 motorway where you're going to be looking, you know, closer to, uh, to 300, 350 euros a month, possibly less. But, you know, you're not in the centre of Madrid. Uh, you're going to have uh, extra time added onto your commute if we're depending on where you're working. And, you know, you're not going to be soaking up the atmosphere of the centre so much. These are going to be more everyday residential neighbourhoods. But the, the option is there. Anyway, just to reiterate, the focus for Madrid is on the central neighbourhoods inside the M30 motorway. Four to six hundred euros a month, sharing between three or four people. You might find something cheaper than that, again, around the 300 euro mark, if, you, uh, if you're up for sharing with six or seven people. But don't forget, it's six or seven people in an apartment. And in my experience, some people I know who've shared with lots of people, they they still only have one kitchen and maybe one or two bathrooms. So you're sharing the facilities with uh, a lot more people. Uh, what about apartments then? A one-bedroom apartment of 30 to 50 square metres, so pretty small. Uh, you're looking at around, I would say at the cheapest end, 750 euros a month. It is possible to get cheaper than that. I have seen some for 650, 700, but they will be very small. They will probably be interior flats, i.e. Uh, they don't have any windows that look out onto the street, so they could be quite dark. Um, and maybe the quality of the apartment isn't great. It might be very old-fashioned. It might be a bit uh, run down. Um, that kind of thing. So, but it is possible to find something cheaper. The other way to find something for, you know, 600 euros a month, which is okay, is if you know someone. Uh, for a two-bedroom flat, you're probably looking at at least uh, 850 euros a month. Again, that's for a small two-bedroom flat, uh, 850 a month. But I would say uh, the average price now for a smallish uh, two-bedroom flat in the central neighbourhoods 
of 50 to 60 square meters, you're looking at 900 to 1,000 euros a month. Uh, people are absolutely flipping out over this, going crazy, going, oh my God, how much? That's so, it's gone up so much. It's so expensive. I remember when you could get a two bedroom flat for 500. Well, true. And lots of people, maybe locals will say to you, you're being ripped off. It's crazy paying that amount of money. You know, I only pay 500. Well, okay, that's fine. That's true, probably. But you know, they're basing it on the fact that they probably moved into their apartment four or five years ago when prices were 500 euros a month for a two-bed flat. Sadly, they have uh, gone up a lot. Um, so there we go. So don't try not to be uh, discouraged by it. Um, they, they, these are the going rates for prices unless you know someone, unless you have a family member or a friend who is going to rent you their flat for cheap uh, mates rates. Again, if you're on a tight budget for uh, an apartment, uh, you could have a look in the outer neighbourhoods. So uh, crossing over the M30 ring road, you will definitely get more value for your money. Uh, you'll be looking probably for a two to three bedroom flat of 80 to 100 square metres. So noticeably bigger. Here you could find one of those for seven to 800 euros uh, per month. But again, it's not in the centre. And if you've got a, a good budget to play with, you could get a 100 square meter apartment in the center with three or four rooms for between 1200 and 1500 euros. Of course, uh, there are uh, lots of huge and beautiful apartments, um, much bigger than that. Uh, for a lot more money. If you want to spend €2,000 on a two-bed apartment, you can. If you want to spend €5,000 a month on uh, a very beautiful apartment uh, with views looking over the Retiro Park, you can. So let's head up north now to the Catalan capital of Barcelona. Um, really, there's, I, I can't really say a lot about it because um, it's almost identical to Madrid in terms of prices and what you're going to get for your money. They are the two really most expensive cities in Spain for renting, even though people do say that uh, officially the most expensive city in Spain is um, San Sebastián, I believe. Um, but I don't know if that's to do with rentals or whether that's cost of living or what, I don't know. Anyway, Barcelona and Madrid are pretty much of a muchness in terms of rental uh, prices. So you're going to be looking at, again, for a room, four to six hundred euros a month in the central neighbourhoods of Barcelona, uh, which kind of stretch from the beach, the Barceloneta beach and the port uh, going up through the Gothic Quarter, Las Ramblas, El Raval neighbourhood, uh, continuing up Las Ramblas to um, Plaza Catalunya, and the two neighbourhoods called Eschempla, Eschempla Left and Eschempla Right, which are very, very big neighbourhoods. And then beyond that, you have Gracia, which used to be its own self-contained town, which got swallowed up by the expansion of Barcelona. And you have some other trendy neighbourhoods nearer the centre, El Born, I think there is. And then, of course, outside of those neighbourhoods, you do have uh, um, what are still considered the centre of Barcelona, but not uh, right in the centre. So you've got Sants and you've got uh, Pobla Now. Uh, some of the sort of former industrial neighbourhoods which have sort of now been converted into more residential areas. But yeah, four to six hundred euros for your room. Again, sharing with around three or four people. You could find something cheaper if you're lucky. You have to shop around. 
Um, you could find something for three to 300. And if you find something for 300 euros a month, again, it's highly likely that you're going to be sharing with, you know, a bigger group of people, six or seven or more even. Uh, for a flat in Barcelona, um, strangely enough, the flats, uh, apartments, if you want to rent a, a whole apartment, they seem to be a bit more expensive than Madrid. Um, I would say you're looking at anything between 850 to 900 euros per month for a small one or two bedroom apartment. Again, same size, 50 to 60 square meters. Uh, if you want something a little bit bigger, maybe three bedrooms, um, you're looking at around uh, 1100 euros a month for 70 square meters. And if you're looking for rooms, uh, uh, if you're looking for anything around four rooms or more, um, something around 100 square metres in those central neighbourhoods in Barcelona, you're going to be looking at 12 to 1,600 euros per month. Again, it seems like it's the same situation with Barcelona. Um, it doesn't necessarily matter which neighbourhood you choose you're going to find the similar price ranges whether you live in one of the uh well like for example a Schempler or el born which are considered the sort of more um the up upscale uh neighborhoods a bit more trendy and a bit posher but you could still find a room uh, in there for the same price as a room in uh, another neighborhood which isn't as nice so I can't definitely say to you that one neighbourhood is definitely going to be cheaper or more expensive than the other. One of my very good friends lives in Barcelona. He has, uh, I think, a 70 square metre apartment with his girlfriend, uh, two bedrooms and one very small box room. It's an interior flat um, and they pay, I think, 620 euros a month. Very cheap. And that is in Sants near the train station. Why is it 620 euros a month? Because the landlord is their friend. So there you go. Let's head down the east coast of Spain from Barcelona uh, to Valencia. Beautiful Valencia, one of my favourite Spanish cities. And my God, what a difference uh, three or four hours on the train makes down the coast. Uh, a lot cheaper in Valencia. If you're looking for one bedroom to share in an apartment with three or four other people, again, within the central neighbourhoods of Valencia, you're going to be looking at 250 to 450 euros per month. Uh, a noticeable drop, uh, much cheaper. You know, so we go from four to 600 to 250 to 450 uh, price range for a one room in a shared apartment. For a flat in Valencia, in the central neighbourhoods, uh, you're going to be looking uh, for one to two bedrooms, a 60 to 70 square metre apartment uh, between 650 to 800 euros per month. So the cheaper end of a two bedroom uh, apartment in Valencia is almost equal to the upper end of a room in a shared apartment in Madrid or Barcelona. And if you're looking for a bigger apartment, uh, four bedrooms, around 110 square metres in Valencia, uh, you're looking at about 1,000 1, euros a month, uh, possibly a bit more. And of course, there are the, the scale is endless. You can pay more and more and more for a more luxury apartment. Uh, let's head down now into... Andalusia and to Seville. 
Seville, really um, on a par with Valencia, obviously much cheaper. The south of Spain does tend to be noticeably cheaper than the north and certainly than the bigger cities. Seville is a big city, don't get me wrong. Uh, for a one-bedroom room, sharing between three or four people, uh, you're looking at €220 Euros a month at the lower end, up to around €400 Euros a month at the higher end of the scale. Um, and I was looking today on some of the property websites that I mentioned, and uh, yeah, there are even some rooms in Seville in fairly central neighbourhoods uh, for as cheap as €200 Euros per month. So pretty good, pretty good deal. Um Depending on what work you're doing in Seville, if you're going to work there, take into account the cost of living is cheaper, but maybe the salaries are uh, somewhat lower than in uh, Madrid or Barcelona. And for a flat in Seville, you're going to be looking at 550 to 750 euros per month uh, for a one to two bedroom flat of 60 to 70 square meters. So kind of small but much more affordable. And for something larger, three to four bedrooms, let's say, yeah, around 110 square metres, um, you're going to be looking at 900 to 1,100 euros per month. So a couple of important points I want to make before I round off this uh, epic part one uh, of Finding Somewhere to Live in Spain podcast. If you rent a room, or an apartment in Spain, you are not liable to pay as a tenant any of the community fees of the building. You really shouldn't be paying those. The owner of the property should be paying those. And you are not liable to pay either uh, the city tax. Um, in England, it's called the council tax. Um, in other countries, I'm not sure, but uh, it's a tax which is levied on a property to cover things like public services. So it's covering uh, rubbish collection, it's covering um, maintenance of the roads, it's covering libraries, uh, police, public services, um, which in the UK comes from a tax called the council tax. Um, in Spain, unlike the UK, if you're a tenant in a rented property, you are not liable to pay that. So do not be conned, do not be told that you have to pay these things because you don't. The only thing you need to pay as a tenant in a rented accommodation, whether it be a room or a flat, is your rent and your deposit and obviously your bills or your share of the bills and that's it. Uh, another point which is quite important to mention um, there are a lot of scam artists out there looking to rip off, uh, well, foreigners who are coming to live and work in Spain. Uh, one way they will do this, and I think you'd have to be pretty gullible and a bit stupid to fall for it, is by posting fake adverts on the property websites. Uh, so I've seen them before. Out of curiosity, I did contact one to see what would happen, even though I knew it was a scam. And you will see on Idealista, on Pisos.com and any of the property websites, you'll be scrolling through the photographs and suddenly you will see an amazing apartment with beautiful photographs 
um, you know, look a really high end apartment, completely modernized with amazing furniture with a huge uh, 80 inch plasma TV on the wall. Um, and it will be, you know, 450 euros or 500 euros a month. And it will have like, you know, three or four bedrooms and one bedroom will have an ensuite bathroom and blah, 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 blah. Don't fall for it. It's, it, you know, if it looks too good to be true, as the old adage goes, it probably is. And uh, a lot of people um, post these adverts in the hope, well, what happens is, is you go, oh, this looks great. I'm gonna, and you only contact these people. They're only contactable by email. You email them, they get back to you, and they write some elaborate story about how they can't show you the apartment in person, but uh, they will arrange for an agent to meet you with the keys. But in, a, in order for the agent to meet you with the keys, of course, you need to deposit 500 euros plus the deposit or more money into a bank account. You never meet the people. No one ever turns up. It's a complete scam. Some people have fallen for it, um, according to some blogs I've read, sadly. Don't fall for it. If you if it's ridiculous, if it's incredibly good value for an amazing apartment, it's not going to be true. It's not going to be real. Another thing which seems to go without saying, but I know people who've done it, is uh, agreeing to rent a room or an apartment without seeing it in the flesh. Crazy. I know it's difficult sometimes if you're... Uh, trying to sort out all of these things ahead of time from a different country and you might be tempted to, to agree on a room or an apartment without seeing it, don't, if, you, if at all possible, do not do that. Do go and see the apartment because photos can be deceptive. It's also important to speak to the people you're going to be living with or certainly the landlord without putting any money down or signing anything. Go and see the uh, apartment in person to know exactly what you're getting into and to see if the uh, photos and the description actually accurately reflect uh, the place itself. So, uh, yeah, quite an exhaustive uh, podcast uh, episode. I know that this won't be particularly exciting, interesting or relevant for everyone, but I just want to recap a bit about the podcast series. Uh, the intention is and has always been uh, that this will be a mixture of colourful pieces about culture and lifestyle and my observations on Spanish life and society and the country and food and drink. But every so often I will be publishing uh, podcasts like this how-to guides so if you're coming to live and work in Spain that these should be very useful for you if you're not coming to live and work in Spain then you don't have to listen to them unless you're absolutely fascinated by these kinds of things um, and the next episode is going to be a bit more light-hearted and I'm just going to be guiding you around the central neighborhoods that I have been talking about in this episode in just a bit more detail so that you know you get an idea of where you might like to live whether you're looking for somewhere more peaceful and residential or whether you want to be in the absolute thick of it all so thanks for listening again don't forget that all of the information i have imparted during this epic podcast uh, will be available on the corresponding blog page on wheninspain.org. There you will find the links to the various um, property accommodation websites. Uh, there I will make a little uh, table of costs and prices and a little summary of all of the information that you're going to need. So thanks for staying with me. Thanks for listening. And until part two...
Adiós. <risa>